Hello, welcome to the Guernsey Press Politics Podcast. I'm Helen Bowditch. If you were to draw a Venn diagram of some of the main politics stories this week, you might find Deputy Lindsay de Sommeray's name in the centre. So I'm very lucky that she's one of my guests this week. And my other guest is an accountant. So she's never far from Venn diagrams either. It's Di Degare, the Vice President of the Chamber of Commerce. Thanks very much for joining me, ladies. Maybe if I start with you, Deputy de Sommeray, because you've brought, just brought out your amendments to the Education policy letter. Do you want to sort of outline what uh, what you're aiming to achieve there? Well, yes. I mean, I think uh, when you uh, bring an amendment, you're a, you want to change something. So I think if we start with the thing that we're trying to change. Um, certainly, I think it won't have escaped anyone's notice that education, sport and culture have brought forward some proposals for the future of secondary and post-16 education. And I have to say, I'm not convinced that that is the optimum uh, solution or even a particularly good one if I'm if I'm being very honest uh, and so it's not actually my amendment I'm seconding Deputy Andy Cameron's amendment and he of course is a member of that very committee um, so I mean gosh how far how far do we want to go back I think it's fair enough to go back to the election and there were a lot of people including uh, those who are now serving on the committee for education sport and culture who thought that a change of direction was was needed. And um, one of the big themes that came out of that was stakeholder feedback. And by stakeholders, really, we're talking teachers primarily. And um, one of the things that has struck me in recent uh, weeks, we've been hearing quite a lot um, from teachers, and they don't seem to be sold on these proposals at all. And so uh, Deputy Cameron has made his amendment as a response to that teacher feedback to address some of the concerns that there seems to be quite a lot of consensus um, aren't addressed in the committee's proposals. So basically, if I can put it into a nutshell, um, the committee's proposals are to move from uh, the the current four site arrangements, uh, so education over four different sites, and they are proposing to move to another model over four sites. So that's not getting you any efficiencies whatsoever. You're not going to save any money in terms of your running costs and you need to spend tens of millions of pounds in order to build what they're proposing as a new standalone sixth form centre. Um, and so Deputy Cameron's amendment, which I'm uh, very happy to be um, seconding, really proposes that we reduce it to three sites and we keep the sixth form where it is rather than spending tens of millions of pounds to move it 500 metres or so down the road and really make the most of uh, the existing educational estate but really crucially using those revenue savings that you then generate because it's going to cost less to run and put them uh, you know invest more money into into the other schools which is not something that the committee is currently proposing so in a nutshell the the committee is proposing moving the sixth form down the road um, Deputy Cameron is is proposing not doing that, just keeping it where it is uh, and really investing in in the schools to make sure that they can better accommodate the larger number of students. So I'm sorry, that was a very, very long summary, but it's quite a big subject. Yes, absolutely. And and Di, I know you've been following the education debate really closely. What's what's your take on this? One, it's been going on forever. And And I really hate the idea of further delays, but I absolutely don't think we should just progress with something. And the only thing it really does is tick the box of not being two schools. 
So we know loads and loads of people marched for the pause and review. I do not believe they just marched against two schools. And I spoke to so many people who were like, we just get us some reservations. We really want to understand what is best. And for me, I always think, you know, I didn't like the idea of two schools at first. My initial thoughts were, you know, all two big schools, traffic, everything like that. And I looked into it all and I really got the advantages. So I felt the biggest shortcoming of that was PR and that if we then did a proper review, people would see the advantages of that. And But I got the concerns from both sides, but maybe with all the stakeholders involved, we could tweak it and come to a sensible solution. So to can that review, I'm so gutted. And I went to one of the drop-ins the other day, and Millie was like, no, no, we have done the review, it's in the policy letter. She flipped through it to try and point me to it, and I definitely felt like I was just trying to be told it was all there and it wasn't. And it isn't there. Well, it's incomplete, though. It is incomplete, yes. crucially without the costings. They've just ignored the good stuff of the two schools. So I only then think her model absolutely does not add up to what we've canned. Yeah, and speaking with some of the teachers who were involved in the workshops that fed into that review, they're quite surprised that we've ended up with this model because, you know, according to them, and I have to take their word for it because I wasn't involved, but they're saying actually this was the most expensive model on the table. So they're, they're surprised that this would come out. But it's very, very difficult, as, as Diane says, to be able to compare like for like when you don't have a like for like comparison. And so it, the, the review is incomplete. It, it doesn't, you know, give us all the, the, the full costings and things like that. Like that so it is impossible to tell and I completely agree you know I was one of those that supported uh, a call to have that review completed and I'm I'm really sad that we haven't got that because I don't think that uh, you know we've we've got the information we need to make a, a properly informed decision without it and, and my concern is with the amendment is I don't really like the fact that one school will have the sixth form that's the that that is the obvious argument against well, it yeah let me explain <laughs> it's that yes i mean if it were if what was being proposed was 111 to 18 and 211 to 16s i would completely agree with you but that's not what's being suggested because that would be unfair and that's what we've got at the moment and it is inequitable so at the moment what you've got is um, some children, it's complete postcode lottery at the moment, you've got some children who by virtue of the school that they attend have a much broader curriculum choice than children at other schools. And so, for example, languages is the classic uh, case, you know, uh, you, you, you typically get a much, uh, you know, you can maybe choose between French and Spanish and German if you happen to attend Varon, but not if you attend Beaucamp and probably St. Sampson's, I'm not sure about them, um, or, or Lamar. And so that is because they've got a, you know, Varon at the moment operates as one 11 to, six, uh, 11 to 18 school. And so the children in the lower year groups can benefit from that. But actually what's being pr proposed in the Cameron model is exactly what the committee are proposing with their standalone sick form in that all the teachers are shared between all of the sites that so all of the children have got the same access to the curriculum and if anything the camera model is actually more equitable because you've got 25% fewer logistical challenges in terms of sharing out uh, those subject specialist teachers, for example. So actually, um, there's no difference in equity unless it's an improvement when you compare the Cameron model to the ESC model, um, because it's 
It's um, in terms of access to those subject specialist teachers, in terms of your choices when it comes to your GCSEs, um, those will be uh, equitable irrespective of what school you actually go in. So it's not, because I wouldn't be able to support it if it were, a 111 to 18 and two 11 to 16s. It just so happens that the sit form happens to be on the same site that will carry on sharing uh, facilities. But in terms of the timetabling, in terms of the staffing, in terms of the access to different subjects, those will be the same throughout any of the 11 to 16 year groups across any of the different sites, because that's how the, the staffing and the timetabling will work. So would that mean staffing moving, travelling in between schools? Yes, but crucially less than under what what ESC is proposing because instead of having to coordinate between four sites, you only have to coordinate between three. So actually the logistical challenges are fewer. So it's not a 111 to 18 model. It's a 311 to 16 and a a sick form operationally, um, but it just is uh, a less complicated way of arranging it than having the sit form on a completely different site. But my children go to St Sampson's, they will still need to move from St Sampson's no. to Le Varon's for sit form. Uh, yes, as, as they would under the ESC proposal. And the only way around then, that... Or, that's not... In, I don't think that's as equitable. I still feel like if you see the kids like progressing to sit form, you're more likely to carry on. Yeah, so that's, that's I feel like it's an interim solution. I don't know, I just feel like... We're we're settling a bit just in that Guernsey way. We could do something amazing, but no one wants to make the brave decisions that... Yeah, I I have to agree with you as well that I personally think there are huge advantages to 11 to 18 um, solutions. And there are amendments on the table as well, which, which look at those options. So if... 211 to 18s is considered um, you know somehow not acceptable then maybe three is so there are there are options around that as well um, but also it's interesting that you mention interim solutions because one of the one of the most challenging things about this is our student numbers um, we you know we look at all the projections they're due to peak in probably about five years time which if you think about any, you know, new model is probably going to be sort of just about settled by then. And from that moment on, the student numbers are due to fall. And so if you are going creating a new big fancy, uh, you know, um, sick form centre somewhere else, you're going to sit there, uh, feel pleased with yourself, cut the ribbon, feel pleased, and then you're going to watch that investment, which is a very significant investment of taxpayers' money, and you're going to watch it become increasingly economic inefficient um, so you're, you're, you're sort of building for the absolute bulge of student projection numbers and our student projection numbers are due to fall and as it is you know our sick form is smaller than many of our primary schools if you look at it in terms of student numbers and in 10 years time it's going to be it would probably be in the lowest 50 percent of our of the sizes of our primary schools so it's an extraordinary thing I do agree with you in terms of you know, a possible stepping stone to because we might end up with three eleven to eighteen, and and at least we'd be progressing to something better. I just think we're just going to see what we happen across rather than because I mean, picking up on Di's point there, a critic might say that the Cameron de Summeray model 
all you're doing really is um, you, you're taking the current model and you're closing Lamar de Cartra. It's not that ambitious. It's not that exciting. Yeah, and, and that is exactly what it says on the tin. And I think it's actually very Deputy Cameron. He's, he's a wonderful person and that what you see is what you get, you know. And I think what we've got to remember with amendments is you've got to compare them against what, you, what the original propositions are. So it's a case of we've got a, a proposal from the committee and there is an amendment, and the choice that will face the Assembly is which one of these choices do you think is better? Same is actually true of other amendments as well, of course. Um, so uh, I think Deputy Cameron has gone down a very pragmatic route to say, actually, I don't think it's worthwhile spending quite such a huge sum of money um, just moving the SIP form down the road. So actually, rather than spending all that on a building, can we not invest in our current schools and fix some of the problems that we know already exist within those schools. So we know, for example, that we've got problems, St. Sampson's have got uh, a lack of um, uh, lunchtime space and things yeah. like that. And the corridor issue at St. Sampson's, because um, the corridor is a little bit too narrow and because it's an out-and-back design, you get real congestion, don't you? But they have a nice swimming pool, which Leverance doesn't have. No, I get that. And I don't like the, you know, the ASC, ESC model, which you know, really is not investing in 11 to 16, Absolutely. is squeezing more in, and is assuming a decline in Guernsey's population, which, you know, we need to think about that for, for Guernsey as well. Like, and I, I know that's what they're predicting, but, you know... And are you, I mean, in the ESC model, you're not excited by the post-16 campus because I think they see that as the real sort of exciting part of their proposals. So when Millie spoke to me about that, that was probably the, you know, probably something I could have got on board with. And and I did like a lot, a lot about it and the Guernsey Institute and everything. But is it worth the extra money to now? And can't we have all that? in what we've got like everything that she said to me that I got excited about I don't see how it's not possible in, in your amendment like because it's only about what, what is it one kilometer in between those oh two yeah, sites it's yeah. nothing is it um but actually I'm really glad you raised that particular issue because I was in a presentation last night for for deputies and we got this really rousing sales pitch actually over the post 16 campus and it was, it was, you know, really selling it. And I thought, fantastic. That would be really, really good. It was all about this, this um, awesome sort of post-16, you know, more adult environment and this mix of academic and vocational and, you know, treat them like adults and give them this amazing new facility. Except that's not what they're proposing because what they were selling us there was a tertiary college where, you know, you, you go in and you've got, you know, your choice of pathways. Very, very explicitly, this model is not that. Very explicitly. Explicitly, what we have got with the with the committee's proposal is an 11 to 18 learning partnership, i.e., the school system, uh, through to sit form, and then you've got your Guernsey Institute, which I'm a huge supporter of. And and just as an aside, irrespective of any model that that goes in, that absolutely needs to be prioritised. The Guernsey Institute, they have been a can that has been kicked down the road absolutely shamefully for 40 odd years, and they need to be properly invested in. And I completely agree on that but I don't think we should be cannibalizing their space actually by putting a sit form in there as well and putting even more pressure on that site but at the moment you've got a situation where it's they, they've been very explicit in their proposals and saying no it will be too organizationally separate 
uh, institutions. And effectively, as teachers have described it to us, you'll be going onto that campus and it will be a case of turn left for academic and turn right for vocational and technical. And when I asked the question last night, along with some of my colleagues, we said, well, you know, what are the educational advantages from having them on the same campus? Because we can understand some of the pressures that are going to be, you know, created by, by putting them on the same campus. And they couldn't come up with any answers. We got the, the, the you know, something along the lines of, well, they, they might be able to have lunch together. I was thinking, well, they just get to share a canteen, don't they? And they might yeah. make. So I absolutely got the sales pitch then. And I envisaged my son doing a mix of, he's, he's really bright, a bit dyslexic maybe, and but so practical. And I really saw him doing this mix of like, practical and academic subjects in this utopia of sick form and um, just had it broken to me. So, so it sounds like if, it, if they were actually proposing a tertiary college, you'd be much more in favour of that. Well, to, I think you'd need to... Uh, we've always been told tertiary college has been um, something that has been sort of proposed on and off ever since, well, before 2001. I know that was um, actually, you know, many people still carry a bit of a candle for that. Um, but, you know, certainly the information that we've had through the multitude of policy letters through the years is that um, tertiary colleges of the scale that we would have in Guernsey don't typically work terribly well. You know, when you look at how, you know, the good tertiary colleges and other places, they're very significantly bigger. I think plucking a figure out of the air, don't quote me on this, but I think maybe around 5,000 students or something like that. Um, so uh, I'm not sure how scalable a tertiary college would be in practice, um, but certainly all I know at the moment, and this is something that's been raised by school staff, is we seem to be getting very mixed messages. On the one hand, um, you know, we, we seem to be being told that it's it's this sort of tertiary college environment. But on the other hand, we're being told that actually organisationally they are totally separate. They will be time, the sixth form will be timetabled and will have to be very, very carefully choreographed with three other schools. If you think about you're sharing your sixth form staff, sending them in, in three other directions, you're not going to have time to timetable across with the vocational They're as buying well. buying an amazing app. It's yeah, cool. yeah, it's all down to the magic algorithm. I do love that one. Yeah. <laughs> now, I run my business off apps, but... <laughs> It's not the be-all and end-all. Well, also, when, when people say the word algorithm around education, everyone sort of shudders slightly, don't <laughs> yeah. they? So this year they do, yes. <laughs> it's not gone well. Oh, yeah. No, and also, though, but even if they were just like a kilometre away, if we did have like a sort of tertiary model and people, you know, like my son could do a bit of both, that could still happen. Yeah, and it does happen to a degree already. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I'm very open to exploring. I'm a big supporter of vocational and technical uh, and I'm a big supporter of seeing if we can, you know, make those two pathways converge a bit. Yeah. Um, but I don't think they need to be on the same site. And if anything, actually, I think we need to really, you know, put, give a vote of confidence to the Guernsey Institute and just say, you know, we value you for what you're doing. It's, it's just an amazing thing as it already is. Let's just invest some money into that sector. And, and you know, that is so long overdue. Well, the world is changing, isn't it? And we need more apprenticeships, things like that in Guernsey. Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I agree with Di. I've got four children of my own and I'd be, you know, the really pragmatic part of me almost hopes that they choose a, a technical and vocational pathway over an academic, although, you know... a politician. <laughs> definitely, I wouldn't, wouldn't advise this as a career path. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, it's not really a career, is it? It's, uh, uh, you'd like to say it's more of a, more of a calling. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not nine to five, I imagine. Oh, no, Some it's make a career of it. <laughs> but I don't think they were called. <laughs> 
And one thing that you've mentioned in the past as well is this sense of weariness around this debate, even though this is going to affect literally thousands of young people. So it's so sad that there's this sense of, oh, let's just get something done. Yeah. So many people say that to me all the time. I'm like, we don't just want something for the sake of something. You know, our kids are being well-educated and the schools are doing a great job. But, I mean, obviously we should have had a plan when we removed the 11+, plus, which was absolutely the right thing to do. But, well, yeah. We, we did, in a way. So we didn't remove the 11+. plus. We, we, we kept the 11+, plus in situ for two years until there was a plan. Now, what people are forgetting, in retrospect is that what the Raquette did was take us out of that plan. So we already had cohorts of children in the transition programme. And I'll put my hand up with a vested interest and say, you know, I've got a child in year seven who who was sort of in that pipeline as well. And I've got, you know, children um, younger than that. And all of them will be affected by the decision that this assembly makes. And I am absolutely terrified, as you're right, Helen, I've said it uh, in, in in the chamber. You know, I would rather make the right decision than make the wrong decision quickly you know because this is too important to just sleepwalk into and we cut you know it's I know it feels like a political football that's been kicked around for for far too long I get that but I'm a parent and you know these are our children and their education and their future and they've only got one shot at it and it's not fair to them to be bored by it and that is what people have literally said they're bored by this debate and they just want to get it off their plate and I think we owe it to our children to take it much more seriously than that. All right. Should we should we change the subject away from education? Well, I think we've solved that one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we've solved it, but uh, um, if people uh, listen. (laughs) So social media was absolutely ablaze last night over uh, Deputy Meerveld and Deputy McKenna. They want to delay the abortion legislation. What what did you two make of that? (laughs) I thought it was very conveniently timed. (laughs) I do sense that... um... Uh, it, it is something of a distraction from from uh, perhaps the education really? debate. That's very yeah. cynical. Well, yeah, I think it is very cynical. Um, but um, I mean, I'm not I'm not suggesting that the people bringing the Cersei, but I, I uh, you know don't don't care about it. I'm sure they do. But uh, yeah, I think it's um, it's certainly drawing an, an awful lot of uh, public attention. When I think realistically, it doesn't stand um, a, a chance of of going anywhere. Oh, really? Because because the the makeup of the assembly has become more conservative this term. I wondered if there was a chance that actually it, it would win. I think it's very unlikely. Um, I hope I hope I'm right. I hope I'm not being falsely confident. Um, it was overwhelmingly supported in the previous assembly, um, but you know, and this is the legislation stage. It's not the policy decision. It is the legislation coming back? I mean, it was so overdue as it was. Uh, I think it's actually probably more of a political challenge to, to you know, turn around at legislation stage than, than I think people probably have the stomach for. So um, I would be, I, I'm touching wood as I say this, but um, I suspect it's not going to get an awful lot of support. I certainly haven't heard, other than the people that absolutely we've always known, uh, you know, feel very strongly about this other than those people I don't really get the sense um, politically that it's got a huge amount of, uh, of support so I, I suspect it's, it's fantastic that people are engaged in this uh, and they're writing in which they are in their absolute droves so thank you everyone who has put um, I suppose finger to uh, <laughs> keyboard um, 
But um, I would like to hope that the Cersei itself um, is, is not going to be successful. And Di, were you surprised when you, when, you, when you heard about this news? I kind of think it's a bit of a brave move on these two gentlemen's part to, you know, take on this subject. It just it needs to happen. It is long overdue. It's a massively emotive topic, whether it's right or wrong, but, you know, and, but yeah, I, I, I hope Lindsay's correct. You know, we, we know people will travel for abortions if not and so then they're only available to some and that's just not fair and there was such a backlash I mean I I wonder if they anticipated what a backlash it was going to cause yeah I mean it's not surprising I think you know people if I I don't know I mean certainly I think Deputy Mirval's been around the political block so you know I, I think he he would have probably have anticipated it he was involved in the debate on the actual policy which got huge traction you know obviously uh, hundreds of emails um and uh, you know court steps um protest and 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 everything so I think Deputy Mirval definitely would have gone in with his eyes open about the likely public reaction um uh, maybe Deputy McKenna is uh, is finding that out afresh but um yeah I think it was absolutely predictable that uh, a move like this would have generated that kind of response because as Diane says it is a it is a really important subject and it's one that affects a lot of people and you know potentially 50 percent of of the island's population very directly you know but let not alone them. hey not them <laughs> but should they because some of the criticism being put to them is that, well you're middle-aged men you 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 shouldn't uh, you don't have a voice on this but arguably they do don't they well, I think constitutionally they do. <laughs> they have a vote and, you know, they, they, they have got every right to bring amendments if, if they think uh, that's the case. But I think one of the, the... Anyone who read the original policy letter on, on the update to the abortion law would have been left in no uncertain terms that this is about women's reproductive rights. That's it. You know, that is what it's about. And so I can understand the indignation um, that... Uh, that is rightly or wrongly directed at um, people who are not directly affected in the way that women are. Now, another um, topic on the political agenda for the states next week is, is misbehaving deputies. And it's a bit sort of, I'm almost clenching my buttocks thinking about it, but um, it's uh, Deputy Chris Letissier and this question of should he be suspended from the states for a year. Uh, what do you think the debate's going to be like, Lindsay? Quite, uh, It's not going to show the states in a good light, is it? For that reason, I'm hoping there is literally no debate at all. I, I very much hope it is just a vote and that's that. So someone will guillotine the, the, the debate, do you think? I mean, no one, no one forces anyone to stand, you know, apart from to introduce the, the, the item. But the whole point is that an independent panel has been tasked to go away and look at this. And um, really, the Assembly is being asked to, uh, to accept the recommendation. And I'm actually even reluctant to talk about it any more than that. I'm, I'm happy to listen to what Diane has to say on the issue. Do you know, the, the worst thing is he gets to vote before it, doesn't he? So he gets to vote in education, as I understand it. Well, unless and it's reordered. So there, there is the possibility of um, reordering uh, so debate. So I thought um, 
one of the other deputies looked into that and said they checked it out and it couldn't be. I can't remember her. And yes, it was there was Deputy Barry who yeah. asked that question. Um, the question she asked is, will it be reordered in terms of our agenda? And the answer was no for some quite boring technical reasons. But that doesn't stop anyone from laying a motion to, to uh, reorder debate we actually do it on the fly quite often as as Helen (laughs) has to sit through all these things we'll know probably much to your frustration I'd imagine Helen (laughs) (laughs) so we we quite often reorder debate depending on on various circumstances and certainly um you know I I'm I would expect uh Deputy Mirvell to bring it forward um but if he doesn't I would I would very much expect that there will be a motion um, uh, moved by a member of the Assembly to reorder debate because I, I think it just sits very strangely uh, to have that item yeah. anywhere later down the the agenda. Because he's going to... If, if that is delayed and left until the end of the meeting, he's going to be... He's going to be voting on important topics like education and things like that, isn't he? Yeah. And you, you don't. You, it sounds like you don't think that's appropriate. No, and and I mean, so is is my understanding correct that if it's debated, it may be a less lenient punishment would be put forward rather than a more severe. I'd be pro the latter. There, there, there are no amendments at the moment to the to the mo- to the motion to the recommendation, effectively. But um, potentially, there is, you know, uh, leeway for people to bring an amendment if they if they think that is appropriate. It could go in any direction. There are no rules around that. Um, but I'm not aware of any amendments at the moment. And actually, having spoken with a few colleagues about it, I get the impression that there is. For all the reasons you were outlining, you know, at the start of this item, I think there is an appetite to just not debate. It is just so grubby to to have to, you know, it would just be awful to have to debate this. So certainly the sense I get, and maybe it's, you know, it's only a sounding from a a handful of people, but I I get the sense that there is not very much appetite to spend, you know, a lot lot of time delving into all the details. And I think if there was an amendment... And I feel like then a a resignation would have um, led to that no debate. Well, Di, you live in the business world. I mean, if, if someone had done something like this... I may this, have suggested a resignation rather than... <laughs> they wouldn't be suspended from my office for a year. You know, no, it's, it's totally unacceptable behaviour, especially the lack of contrition and, and the blatantness and then trying to point the finger at others to say, well, I'm not that bad. Look at what they do as well. I mean... Like, my kids behave better than that. Although, I mean, the, the counter to that is none of us are perfect. We've all got the odd skeleton in the cupboard, haven't we? We've all done things that we're a little bit ashamed about. But it hasn't been broadcast throughout the media. But I'm sorry for if I've done something wrong. If I appreciate I've done something wrong, I will do my utmost to put it right. And I feel awful. I don't get that impression here. So he'd lost all my sympathy at that point. I feel like we should end on something positive because we've... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is, there, is there any good news that you've noticed recently? Oh, um, oh, I tell you something positive. I went along to uh, the, the Pollinator Project's um, 
solitary bee competition um, prize giving. And that was just the most life-affirming thing. It Wasn't it wonderful? If uh, you happen to be in the vicinity of the Fricke Garden Centre, I'm sure the display is still up. It is absolutely magnificent. Somewhere in the region of, I think, a, a, you know, one and a half thousand children sent in their designs for little solitary bees. Those are one and a half that actually they represent a lot more children who know an awful lot more about pollinators than they did before. Uh, it was just so wonderful. And I think actually, if you ever need a kind of voter confidence in the future, just go and hang out with some children for a bit because the creativity, the imagination, the positivity, the can-do attitude that was on display there was just amazing. And if we could all just be like that, then wouldn't life be brilliant? <laughs> all right. Well, that's it. We, we, we've hit our 30-minute mark. I think we've gone over it. So that's that's it. That's a good place to end. Well, uh, thank you very much to Deputy Desamre and Di Degare. I'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with two new guests. In the meantime, if you feel inclined, you could hit subscribe or follow on your podcast player. If you're feeling extra generous, you could always rate and review the podcast as well. Cheerio. Thank you.